friends, welcome to season two, episode three of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. My name is Bailey Welch Pomerantz, your host here on the show, here with my co-host, wife, and pastor, Sarah Welch Pomerantz. Hey, guess what? Chicken butt. You knew that was coming. So don't unnecessary. Ask, don't ask me, Chad. Guess what? Anyway, mm. so our podcast has been played 2,000 times. Seriously? Yeah, 2,000 times. I mean, maybe that's just two people listening to our podcast 1,000 times each. Whoever these two people are, just, <laughs> you, can, you can stop listening that many times. It's just like grandma and one other person. Bless their heart. No, um, but that that is really exciting because I saw on our podcast um, dashboard oh. that it was 2000 and I got really excited. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. I thought you were going to talk a little bit more. Oh. You know what um, is exciting is that I talked on the phone to someone in Maui. How about that? Yesterday. Phones go that long. Like the, the reception. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, anyway, yes, I got to talk to Heather Avis, mm. who is an author and advocate for the Down Syndrome community, and it was awesome, and we're going to have that here in a couple of weeks. All right, cool. Um, all right, so what are we talking about today? I thought we were going to be talking about mental health, and I say that as our... Our wonderful cat comes just crawling towards me, looking for attention. No, so, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, yes, we are talking about mental health. Um, so we we fully understand that this is not always the most fun thing to talk about, mm-hmm. um, but it is important and necessary. Yes. Um, I guess I'm. At the beginning of the conversation, I'm kind of wondering, like, why don't people like to talk about mental health? Because everybody likes to talk about physical health. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about all of the Facebook statuses you have seen about keto and CrossFit. Those are just two of the millions Well, of those ways. are the two that I see the most. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, you see CrossFit for me, so... Yes, that is true. But that's what I'm saying is that, like, people love to see that. People love to see you, like, losing weight or getting stronger or whatever. But we don't have the same respect for, like, going to therapy and medication. Like, no one is, like, taking a picture like, hey, I'm going to therapy today. I think it's twofold. I think when it comes to taking care of your physical health, you can see that physical transformation, right? Like, if you're doing – you're putting your body in ketosis, you can see – rapid weight loss um same with like working out consistently and doing like high impact workouts um i also think too mental illness still has so much stigma around it and it's very people get really uncomfortable when you talk about it because they're like "Ooh, what do i say that could make you upset i don't know what to say now everybody is so worried about like oh my goodness, I might accidentally offend you or I, it makes me uncomfortable. If I'm going to therapy, then it might make someone else unhappy. Uh, that I don't think we talk about it the right way. Um, I think because it's still stigmatized um, and seen as you're weak, that we don't celebrate people taking care of their mental health the way we should. And then you have the whole added piece about taking medications for 
various uh, mental illnesses and just sort of sends it off. And I think people still believe that is what normal is and normal looks like does not include mental mental health issues. Yeah, but it's funny though because like mental health is like. Mm-hmm. No one wants to talk about mental health, but everybody has mental health. Like, I agree. Me- mental health is literally just the condition of a person's psychological or emotional well-being. Right. But I think I don't think anybody would talk or would define it that way. I think if I was going to talk to someone about their mental health, they would think that I was inferring or implying that they might have something wrong instead of me just saying like, "How are you doing today? How's your mental health?" They might immediately go on the defense like, "Well, what do you mean?" Do I feel, do I sound depressed? Do I look depressed? It's like, yeah. and I also think too, this whole idea of like, what has, what do you see on social media with memes is like people are depressed, right? And they make, they kind of make fun of it in a way where it's like, I've been wearing my baggy sweats all day and walking around disheveled and that's what depression looks like. And right. for most, if not all of us, depression looks like what I do every day Yeah, combined with that. So I think, I think it's still stigmatized. I think it's still mocked for humor. And that's why we don't talk about it the same way, unlike a person who loses 50 pounds by doing a specific workout regimen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. This is something that I am very confused about. Like Mm -hmm. how, I don't know. Like if I were, if I was at work and walked up and someone was like, I don't know, like, coughing and sneezing and mm-hmm. everything and like sounded like all congested and I said like oh do you have a cold or something they wouldn't be offended they would just be like yeah it sucks but if I were to walk up to someone and be like how is your anxiety today then it's just I, I mean think, it's not it's not okay I don't think we have enough images or things about people living and achieving great, uh, like achieving dreams while still maintaining, uh, still like being diagnosed with a mental health issue. And until we start putting that out, I think we're still going to see mental health as being a weakness rather than a strength in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I just, um, I think that's kind of part of this conversation that we want to do is talk about how like mental health doesn't make you more weak. Mm-mm. It doesn't mean that you're wrong or that mm-hmm. you did something wrong. It literally just means that you are a person. Yeah. I mean, and, and not everybody has like what we would define as like mental health issues. Um, but everybody still has to take care of their mental health. Right. Um, regardless of whether that's like a proactive way of like, I don't, You know, I don't have anxiety or depression or whatever, but I still exercise and eat well and, I don't know, go to yoga, you know, like, regardless of whether or not you've been diagnosed, Mm -hmm. everyone should be taking care of their mental health. Um, So, I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, What does the Bible say? about mental health or what does the bible not say about mental health I have if that's easier i have never seen a passage about mental health or anything specifically saying that if you are struggling with your mental health that there's something wrong i mean i guess you can look at jesus casting out demons and saying that 
perhaps he was casting out, you know, people might be suffering from bipolar. Yeah, but, but then you're saying that people who today have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or whatever you want to infer those quote-unquote demons as being, then you're telling these people that they are demonic. Right, and I'm not, that's not what I was going to say. Well, no, no, I, I've heard people say right. that, and that's, I just wanted to point it out. I think that is the only places that you see that. I don't think anyone in the Bible was, I mean, unfortunately, like, back then, I don't know how concerned people were about someone's mental state. I mean, you think about um, how some of the rule, like, how history has looked back on some of the Roman rulers and seen that they were probably diagnosed them like with mania and things like that. Um, yeah. I, I like King David. King David. Definitely. I mean, <laughs> whew. but we are prescribing a modern understanding of psychology onto pre-modern individuals. Yeah. So like, you know, in the same way that, you know, Bathsheba might have suffered from post-traumatic stress syndrome from being raped and having her husband killed. Like we don't know. We can only infer and we only have scriptures as the only source material. So, but anyway, I have never seen anything outright saying like, if you suffer from anxiety, depression, et cetera, you're, they're, they're, you're, it's your fault. And even those things that Jesus performing the miracles are not necessarily solely about that person. It's about showing and demonstrating that he is the son of God and altering your reality to, to do something for you. So it's also about him in that moment not necessarily saying that this person is demonic or filled with devils, but showing that he is more powerful and more than we imagined in that. So I always look at those miracle stories as, you know, he's, he encounters, you know, the person, I don't remember which one it is, but it was screaming about, screaming at him. Mm -hmm. um, with the pigs? The pigs. And it's just like, done. But he doesn't say to that person, like, this is your fault that this happened to you at all. He's actually looking at the person and even thinking about that story of Paul and Acts with the slave girl when he frees her yeah. from one of the chains. He doesn't say to her, well, it's your fault that you have this premonition ability. It's, it's your fault you're a slave. He's just like, I'm annoyed with you screaming at me. Boom. Show you great compassion. It's actually about freeing that person in that moment. And what a better world it would be if we looked at those people who have severe mental illness, who have bipolar, schizophrenia, or operational defiance disorder, or whatever, and said to them, like, this isn't your fault. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to do what I can for you, versus like, oh my god, look at what you did. So, and to answer your question, there is nothing. Yeah, I think that, um, if anything, it would be, I mean, I know that people have used verses like, do not be the verse about like do not be anxious mm -hmm. about anything, but in everything trust the Lord. Right. Um, people have used that to say like, see, just turn off your anxiety because God is here, or to be like the Lord of or the the joy of the Lord is my strength. Mm -hmm. Okay, so be joyful when people yeah. are depressed. Like, I think that is. Even though the Bible doesn't say anything specific about mental health, mental health and mental illness, mm -hmm. I think that people who have used um, those verses mm -hmm. to essentially tell people who are really struggling that they're wrong mm -hmm. or that they're not strong enough to do it the right way, um, I think that is more of the problem. Um, and it's not that we can't use those verses for our own like encouragement. 
Like no, I will sometimes, yeah, like I'll sometimes use those just to like remind myself, but it's not okay to say to someone who is severely depressed, who like can't get out of bed, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Get up, go to work, figure right. it out. And in a way, when you say that to a person, you're not really helping them. You're right. not offering them a lifeline. You are shaming them. And that's not how God has asked us to be. And, you know, it's it's a shame that those passages, which, you know, when I think about, like, don't be anxious, mm-hmm. I think about that as, you know, why would they be saying that to someone? Well, anxious and anxiety are two different things. Yes. Being anxious means, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a little ner- I'm nervous about something. Having anxiety is a diagnosable mental illness. And those are two yeah. different things. Now, if the scripture said don't have an anxiety issue, maybe we'd have more to say. Or don't be diagnosed with anxiety, clinical depression, put your faith in the Lord, then we would have more things to unpack. But anxious, being anxious and having anxiety are two separate issues. So it's unfortunate that it's been used that way instead of saying, like, let me help you. That's the Christian thing to do. So. I hope you're really enjoying this conversation about mental health. Um, I know I am. I think that this is just such an important topic and I am honored um, that we get to have it here with you today. Now, I did want to break in here to tell you about something that I'm really, really excited about. My friend, Manda Carpenter, came out with an online course called Stronger Than the Struggle. Um, Guys, this is so good. Amanda is such a good friend. Honestly, she is like the one person who I can call and say like, I have this really crazy idea and she will never say no. Like she will absolutely be all in for you. Um, And she really brings this um, or that that part of herself to this uh, online course. I have taken a couple of online courses of Amanda's um, and I really, really love all of them. So I know you guys are going to love it too. Now, this specific course, Stronger Than the Struggle, is designed to help you be proactive with your mental health. It will help you overcome struggles in your life by identifying triggers, taking an honest assessment, and giving you practical steps toward health and wholeness from a place of confidence. With this course, you'll actually earn a lifetime access to the eight videos where Amanda shares her own story of how anxiety and depression have played out in her own life, times she needed medication, and specific ways she is proactive about her own mental health. When I texted her earlier this week um, to ask if there was anything specific she wanted us to share with you about this course, all she wanted to do was emphasize that this course is not only for those of us who do experience mental health issues like depression and anxiety, but also for those of us who know and love someone who has this experience. It's a great way to learn more about mental health issues and the experience of those of us who do have these types of struggles to help um, better empathize with those of us who do have those struggles. And like I mentioned earlier, everyone, every single one of us has mental health. So to say that it isn't something you struggle with is fine, but also recognize that mental health is a part of the human experience. Like, if you are a human, you have mental health. Um, And there's always something we can do to better set ourselves up for success. And what better way to do that than with this course? Honestly, Amanda's online courses are amazing and I do really encourage you all to consider enrolling. Now, registration does end on July 26th, which means if you're listening to this, 
today, the day it releases, you have three days to go register. So I'll link it in the show notes, but you can also go to at Manda Carpenter on Instagram and check out the link in her bio, or you can go to manda-carpenter.teachable.com. It costs less than most of us spend on coffee in a month or like one dinner out, and it's really, really worth it. So I hope you guys will check that out. So the the bottom line here is that the Bible doesn't necessarily say anything about mental health. If anything, the Bible really encourages us to take care of ourselves. Oh yeah. And our mental health. Um, you know, you could take the verses about um, our bodies being a temple, mm-hmm. um, which is something a lot of people use for physical fitness, mm-hmm. but don't think much about mental fitness, mental, mental. health. Yeah, your mental your mental strength, your fortitude. Yes, Um, yeah. So that's that's interesting. Um, Where do I want to go next? I don't know. Here, I don't know. Um, Have you ever had somebody like uh, shame you? For having mental health, mental illness, I was just thinking about it, and um, I remember someone told me once, like, uh, you shouldn't have to go on anxiety medication because, like, we trust God. But if you really can't handle yourself, then then go do it. And it was like a, it was like I felt, and I was like a teenager at that time, so I was like, oh my gosh, so I'm wrong. And then right. didn't go on medication until I was twenty. Five, six? 25, yeah, 25, 26. Um, I never had anybody implicit, like explicitly shame me, but I have internalized my own shame over it. Um, mostly because, um, you know, I have never seen pastors, like the ones that I've known that were, you know, that I have worked with ever openly talk about their own. Mm-hmm. I've actually seen pastors um, sort of, I don't want to say persecuted, but definitely... Uh, shamed shamed for it mm-hmm. I've seen other pastors shamed for it and sort of made their you know that questioning their call and their mental fi- their fitness for ministry because they have gone through a period of depression uh, due to a very specific incident happening and in a way it's like it's like showing me a warning sign you know like yeah you know I have no shame over my own mental illness and just for our readers to know like I our readers our listeners mm-hmm. I do suffer from depression uh, anxiety and adult ADHD and I do take medication for it mm-hmm. I would be more likely to disclose that to my congregation than I would a group of pastors and here's yeah. why um, my experience with pastors is that all of us are trying to prove that we're better than the other one we want to have we want to be the one right we want to have the most people in our churches we want the many members we want to be the only people who are known for social justice we want to be the only like we have to be the most everything and it if there's a chance that we're put on a committee or group or board or whoever that allows us to judge the fate of another pastor more often than not I have seen that been that judgment been harsh instead of looking at a person and saying like my god you're a wounded healer that's what we are let me help you versus saying to them like "Ooh, you know you're suffering from depression you shouldn't you're not fit for ministry anymore and that's why I've internalized a lot of shame. And I know that 
it's not necessarily a system that you can fix, but it is something that I have to work within. And it's hard, you know, I've watched a lot of my friends who are pastors get persecuted within the pastor circle for having mental illness, uh, especially older pastors looking at other pastors saying like, there's something wrong. And that's where I have seen it the most. But, you know, all of the pastors I know are wounded healers. We all suffer from something and we would do ourselves a great bit of justice if we would just talk about it and stop trying to be like, well, this person's got depression, so don't ask them to do this and give it to me and I want all the glory. Yeah. That's really interesting. I was trying to find um, something because I read a uh, I read an article mm-hmm. a while ago. I'm not gonna be able to find it, but okay. I read an article. I'll try to find it and put it in the notes. But I read an article a while ago about um, pastors not talking about mental health mm-hmm. um, or mental illness from the pulpit, and it was something really crazy, like. Um, not very many pastors were talking about it, but like 60 some percent of people who like go to church of like Protestant Christians wanted their pastors to talk about it. And even then they broke it down even further into like people who, um, people who either have a personal experience with mental health or like a loved one who Mm -hmm. has an experience with mental health, um, that number rose, like, right. I mean, 10, 15%, um, which makes sense. But anyway, I just thought that was so interesting that, like, pastors are so afraid to show weakness mm-hmm. and so afraid to talk about anything, yet this is literally what congregants are saying. Like, we need to, to hear you talk about mental health. We need to know what to do with this. Yeah, I think that, and I can't recall if I've, done it in my pulpit um i think you have maybe i need to touch on it again um i think it's important to obviously break that stigma but also to show the human side of being a pastor you know i there is not a pastor i know that doesn't suffer from that um from mental illness um and you know i i did know someone who i went to seminary with who completed suicide who was died by suicide and he is a wounded he was the the quintessential wounded uh leader he was, you know, he preached from his wounds. And people don't realize, like, the, su- the, the rate of suicide for pastors is high. And that's because yeah. we... <laughs> I always think about a pastor like, an, like a bath mat, right? Like, you get out of the bathtub, and it's wet, and it soaks everything in. And it's grimy, and it's hard, and it's not until, like, you take it and you clean it that it gets to do that. And that's sort of how mm-hmm. I, I see my therapy sessions, and I see, like, things I do for my own mental health, is I'm cleaning my bath mat. Uh, pastors soak in everything, every criticism, every funeral, every good thing, every bad thing, every hard thing a pastor soaks in and they have to keep it. You know, you can have a day where you're counseling someone through their last moments of their life or you're counseling someone through a divorce or something hard and you have no place to go with that emotion because you have to keep confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So you become like a dirty bath mat, like a bath mat that hasn't been washed. That's like caked and stuff because you don't have a way to get rid of it. And so going for me, and I'm speaking only for myself, I go to therapy once a week. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I can tell my therapist things that I can't tell you because I can't break confidence because you know yeah. everybody. But I can tell her certain things 
because she's my therapist and she has to keep my confidence. And so I can do that. I can go work out every morning, which I do, to get myself ready for days that are gonna be tough. And I think the big thing that I do for myself too is I take my medication every day and I'm regimented on it. I take it the same time, between the same time, between seven and eight every day. And it has done wonders for me. And I think when I went off my medication a long time ago, I did myself a great disservice. Um, and pastors try so hard to be like warriors and like super strong and don't wanna show any weakness. And it really is to our detriment. And we don't model good behavior for our congregation and we really need to. And I think congregation members, you know, people in your, in your pews are stressed out. They are tired. They too work all the time. They're workaholics. You know, they, mm -hmm. they might only get this Sunday off. Some of them work Sundays. So they're like, get, they're, they're trying to make it work to be there. You owe it to them to say, is your bath mat clean? Have you washed your bath mat? I mean, that's a good sermon title. That is a good one. I might do that <laughs> and say like, what are you doing to take care of your mental health. And you've got to model that, you know, and that's important. But again, you know, you got to have a lot of uh, confidence in yourself mm -hmm. and a lot of security in the role and not to care what other pastors think of you. And I think I'm getting to that point where I just don't, <laughs> I don't care what other pastors think of me. And I hope that they, you know, that's not an, I don't mean that as a flippant insult, but I, I mean that in a, I have to do what's best for my congregation. I have to do what's best for me. And if someone chooses to use my mental illness against me, then I can't stop them. I can work to prove otherwise, but I can't let that be a limiting factor in me talking about something that is so important. I mean, especially with our with kids and the right the the rate of mental illness in kids, and and yeah. more and more kids are getting bullied and and completing suicide. Not talking about it is a problem, and uh, we're doing our our congregation a disservice. Yeah. Well, and I do think that's um, a big piece that's missing is just like simple education. Mm -hmm. Like people are so uneducated about mental health. And right. I think that that also contributes to the stigma of mental health because people just have no idea. I mean, people who don't understand, um, I don't know, like neuroscience because I'm weird and like, <laughs> I really like to read books about neuroscience. I'm mm -hmm. reading one right now. It's really good. Okay. It's called Why God Won't Go Away. And these two neuroscientists um, are doing like, not are doing, this is an old book, but they did all of these um, experiments on people of faith Mm -hmm. So, like, the chapter I just finished reading was with a monk. Mm -hmm. So they, like, put electro electrodes mm -hmm. on his head, and he meditated, and they looked at, I don't know, the brain right. waves um, or the patterns in his brain. And what they found was really, really cool because his – he described it as when he gets to, like, his – peak mm -hmm. uh spiritual place or mm -hmm. whatever um during meditation it feels like there is n he can't tell where he stops and the earth begins like it, he can't tell any right. separation between him and the rest of the world and when they did this experiment literally the part of your brain which separates you from the rest of the world which helps like protect you from harm and mm -hmm. all of that 
um, literally like diminished. Like that part of his brain. Oh, that's crazy. Was like not. That's really cool. Lit up. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I got really excited. Uh, the point being is that people who don't understand neuroscience don't understand um, the necessity of people taking mm-hmm. uh, medication right. for mental illness. Yes. Like people could very well um, look at me taking Lexapro every morning and be like, oh, she just can't handle herself. Mm-hmm. When in reality, like my brain literally needs that in order to make this serotonin that I need mm-hmm. so that I don't end up in like an anxious, depressive ball on the right. floor. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. So, sorry, our, our cat is going to eat those flowers. Is that where you were? You, I was like trying to talk to you about oh, like was, a serious thing and you were like staring. I was listening to you, but me. I was also watching this like <laughs> little 15 pound cat fly through the air to get these flowers that she's been watching. That is not a little cat. Uh, She's my baby. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Um, so we talked about what mental health is, Mm -hmm. what the Bible says or does not say about mental health pastors and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it's interesting because when you were talking about pastors and mental health, I think that we could also translate that into anyone in like a public space. Like, Mm -hmm. Authors, speakers, any sort of influencers. Politicians. Politicians. Yeah, like anyone in that public space where a lot of people are watching. Mm -hmm. um, What am I trying to say? I think everybody who's got any kind of platform. In fact, forget the platforms, right? Any person right now who knows a person can make a difference by speaking positively about someone's mental health. Now... All those people out there in like Instagram, Twitter, whatever verse, whatever social media platform you are, if you've got hundreds of followers and you have the opportunity to influence somebody, you should, you know, like everybody's really quick to put up like a picture of a burrito or like a cupcake. Like, what would it be like if you had a media platform and you were like, and look, it's totally cool to take that. You know, who does talk positively about their mental illness is Demi Lovato. And I think, yeah. You know, not not to, to derail the conversation and talking about her, but that's a great example. Okay, I love Demi Lovato. I, you know. um, <laughs> I think that's a great example of a person who has a mental illness who has not seen it as a um, almost like a death sentence, like she's going to have detriment, it forever, a yeah. detriment. But also talking about it positively, so her her fan base is always telling her how how much they've uh, accepted themselves because of her, and I think that that's important too, and that goes. For any of us, you know, if you're like at coffee with your best friend and they're suffering and you're like, hey, you know, I, I take I take these medications and ha- taking care of your mental health is fine. You might give someone the confidence to do what they need to do. And so I think that responsibility isn't just on influencers and politicians and pastors. It's on all of us. Right. You know, um, you bring up a good point, though, with Demi Lovato, because I know she has talked a little bit about how... Um, her like a lot of her creativity comes from her mental illness Mm -hmm. and that's very common for a lot of people um who have bipolar disorder is that like the the manic Mm -hmm. parts of their um of their like cycle 
is where they get all of their creativity. It's where they get yeah. all of their best work done. Right. So then that becomes an issue because how do we take care of ourselves in the way we need to while also right. being creative or like being artists or writers or whatever it is like if it's so Mm -hmm. connected to your mental health you know what I mean yeah I think it's complicated and I think that's why it's you know she has to be careful you know because you can tip too far in one direction and really cause yourself some pain and I think that she's acknowledged that in the past and you know it takes a level of maturity to say to yourself like I know where the line is and I know how I need to take care of myself and I'm going to do that while retaining my creativity, but also being responsible, not just to her teenage fans, but to herself. You know, if tomorrow she decided to stop doing everything she was doing, she's still responsible for herself. Yeah. And she takes, and she does do enough to take care, she does a great job taking care of herself, but also demonstrating that when you don't and you fall, you can fall really hard. And I think what happened to her last year is a cautionary tale for people thinking that, you know, you can get yourself cured of addiction. You know, you always have to manage those things and stay on top of it. And, um, you know, I'm pretty, I mean, I don't know her from a hole in the wall, but I'm pretty impressed with the way that she was very open about her struggles and open about how she's done things. I I see a wounded healer, like a a wounded preacher in her, Mm -hmm. pouring out her soul for people. She gets a lot of harsh criticism, which I think is the other thing. I think if you're out there trolling people about mental health, like, you need to really re-examine yourself. Like, stop doing that. That's part of the reason that we yeah. can't stop trolling. Talk like, about leave it. Leave her alone. Um, but I am impressed that she was able to take a conversation and have it in the way she has. And so, if Demi Lovato ever listens to this, know that, like... Oh, she is. Oh, okay. We're well, friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to I joke know. about, is being friends with Demi Lovato. <sighs> Whatever, when I meet her one day, you are going to be sorry. Uh, I'm already sorry. (laughs) Okay, so um, as we wrap it up here, let's talk about some practical ways to improve mental health, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether or not you have any struggles, regardless of whether or not you have been diagnosed with anything. Like, just being a person, having mental health, um, what are some practical ways to improve mental health and be proactive? I think if there's things that you do that you enjoy, you should do them, you know, like, but you know, practice, like if it's like drinking within know, reason, within reason, you know, I've always said to people like the best thing you can do for your mental health is to go outside, like even for five minutes a day and just like allow the sunshine to re-energize your body. That's important. Did you know, uh, this is another neuroscience thing that I read about a couple of years ago, is that um, there is actually a microbial Mm -hmm. in dirt that uh, is like a natural antidepressant. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's why like... So go play outside in the dirt. That's why going outside, yeah, Yeah. uh, helps. I also think too, surround yourself with people who are bringing positivity to your life. Like that sounds really cheesy, but I can tell you from my own personal experience that when I had people in my life that were constantly negative, who were always dramatic, who demanded a lot of my time, who kind of like sucked my energy, I found myself in a really bad place mentally. I think you have to be around people who 
support you, who are in good, who are positive about their own lives, who are excited about certain things, because it's like positivity breeds positivity, right? So like my best friend Ashley calls me every day and we might complain about some stuff, but at the end of the day, if you asked her tomorrow, if she loves her job, she'd be like, 100%, I love my job and this is why I'm so excited to do it. And yeah. there's, there's a sense of like the, the cup is, is half full, not half empty. Right. And I'm not saying like if you've got depression, like that's bad and that you can't talk about it, but there are people out there who are negative on purpose and they do that for their own reasons. And if that is something that's impacting you, then don't be around it. And it's okay to choose yourself over a friend or a loved one or a, uh, a person that you might be in a relationship with and say like, you know what? I really don't want to be having this misery loves company with you. Like I, I yeah. love you, but I have to do what's best for me. So, well, and sometimes it's okay to point out that people are like constantly miserable because you used to point that out to me all the time. Yeah. And you were able to take that criticism and work with it, but there's, well, a... but I also like made changes in yeah. my life. It wasn't just like, yeah, it wasn't like I just magically became a less miserable person, but I like, I went back to school. I got a new job. I like, yeah. I did the stuff that I knew I needed to do in order to be more positive. And I think that's important too. Like some people are miserable because they are suffering from some sort of mental illness, but then there are people who enjoy complaining and yeah. those people, I do enjoy complaining. You do. And, but I do call you out on it because it can be hard to be around that, like a constant, like, oh my God, everything is sucky. And that's good because I should not be complaining all the time. <laughs> right. But like, sometimes you have to take care of yourself. And I'm saying this from personal experience that some of the, the one of the best things that ever happened to me was like having, pe having people in my life who were constantly draining, constantly complaining, who wanted things a certain way, who always were negative, never positive, uh, and who were dramatic. I think there are people out there who live for the drama, yeah. who love drama. I'm not a person who loves drama personally. Like it really, like the thought of it exhausts me already. <laughs> so like there are people who take a situation that don't need to take a situation to where it goes. And then you're like, Oh God, you know, me personally, a person who texts me a thousand times in a row is not a person I'm going to spend my time on because that's a lot for me to handle. And also I saw this the other day too. And this is really important. You are not responsible for another person's emotional state, right? Yeah. You are also not responsible for constantly being on call for another human being, regardless if you're married or this is a friend, you are allowed to take care of yourself. And that's mm -hmm. important too. And for people out there who are, you know, oh, I need, I need you, I need you, I need you. Like, remember too that you are asking a lot of another person and maybe take a step back. And I've been that person that's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I realized with hindsight that that's bad. You know, you are allowed to choose yourself. And so choose yourself because that will make you better. Yeah. Also, our listeners couldn't see it, but you were like frantically texting. I was making that the, gesture that, where it's like with your thumbs. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I've made that mistake too, where you get really focused on another person and you need, you think you need them, but you really don't. So, yeah. Anyway, right. That's what I would do. Yep. So I agree. Um, we've talked about, we've talked about some like in passing too, like exercising. Yeah. Um, eating healthy, but therapy, medication. Yeah, and exercise, don't do what makes you happy. Like, I'm a firm believer that exercise should be something you enjoy, not something you dread. So, like, if somebody says to you, like, oh, you got to do the gym five times a week, like, no, you do the gym, do what you want. And then, in terms of body positivity, like, accept your body for what it is and, and love it. Um, but 
do workouts that you like. Right. Well, and there's not really one right way to do it. Like you go to the gym five times a week and you go to CrossFit. CrossFit Cedar Grove. If you're out there and in Cedar Grove, it's a great place to go. So, yes, so you go and do these really high-impact, like, Mm -hmm. insane workouts five times a week. And I go to yoga twice a week. Right. But that's what works. And and if you look at this, like, look at us separately, right? Like, Uh I'm a person who's got incredible amount of energy and unbridled. If I go in the beginning of the morning and have a workout for an hour where I have to give all of my energy, that actually keeps me pretty even throughout the day. Yeah. Instead of having, like, bursts of energy and not being able to focus, like... I've gotten rid of a lot of it because I'm a really intense person in that way. You are not like that. And so no. your exercise routine is more relaxed and more breath-based and more... You don't know. Well, I've been we with, do planks. Well, planks are hard, but you got to breathe through it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, it fits you what your, what your physical need is. And for yes. me, going to CrossFit every morning, even though, like, sometimes my lower back hurts and, like, I'm in pain, I am able to give like all of that pent up energy that I have to exist within because I do have anxiety and ADHD. And even though I'm on medication, it still doesn't make it. It's not a a cure all. You still have to manage it. This has been helping me manage it in ways that I had no idea um, because I hadn't been working out the way I had wanted to. And now that I am, it makes me happy. Yeah. All right. Last two things that I want to tell people about and you don't have to care about them because I know you don't. I do. One. That was really mean. You should apologize to me. Sorry, no, no, no. Think that you're like. No, no, no. You'll understand it when I say it. Okay. One is essential oils. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Because I love my essential oils. Uh huh. And they help me a lot. And two is self development. And I was specifically going to say the Enneagram. Oh boy. Because I feel like. It is really uh, important mm-hmm. and helpful for people to understand themselves and other people. But that's just my two cents. And if you don't want to do the Enneagram, then don't do it. Okay. All right. Any last minute things? Mm, no. I'm good. Thanks for joining us, friends. If you enjoyed this episode or it positively impacted you in any way, we'd love if you could take a few seconds to give us an honest five-star rating and review. It really means so much to us, and it helps others find this content too. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.